You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked on Ravens here on this Purple Friday. I am your host, Kevin Ostriker of Ravens Wire. And here today with us back for another episode is Matthew Stevens of Ravens Wire after a week hiatus away from the show. Matthew, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, man. How about yourself? I'm doing all right as well. Again, the name of the game here is content and we have a little bit of it today now obviously the nfl this is really the hiatus season for the nfl even if there was no coronavirus going on the summer is usually pretty slow when it comes to nfl news but today we have a bunch of little things planned and in this first segment here we're going to start off with our fan mailbag now obviously with the long episode coming out yesterday that fan mailbag was not done yesterday. So now we have Matthew here to help answer your questions. And there are a few really good questions asked from a few of our regulars here. So we're going to get this started here, Matthew. And a bunch of schedule questions here from the listeners. And I wanted to start by asking you, Roberts B at B the dot asks, which NFC team do you think on the Ravens schedule poses the biggest threat to the Ravens success in the regular season? So that can mean a game that you find might be tough within the NFC East that Baltimore might not be planning to be tough or even a good team in that NFC East that might give Baltimore a run for their money. I mean, I, I think you always have to look at the Cowboys as, as kind of dysfunctional as they are at times. You know, they're still a really good team. They're usually a really good team. They're usually fighting for the playoffs. And I think, you know, from an NFC standpoint, they kind of mirror a lot of what Baltimore does as a whole. They're, they're, they're a run-heavy team. Uh, they, they use their young quarterback effectively. Uh, they've got a really good defense. You know, they do a lot of the, the, the same things that Baltimore does well. That's going to be one that's going to be a, a you know, knockdown, drag-out fight. And certainly you've got it in prime time, 820 uh, in early December, that's also going to add to it. Uh, that that's a game that I'd be really interested in. And of course the Eagles as well. Anytime that you've got, you know, any teams kind of in close proximity, there's like a weird rivalry that happens despite the, you know, the Ravens and the Eagles aren't necessarily rivals by any means, but you know, neither are the Redskins and the Ravens. And yet we build that up every year too. So, uh, but just like the, the Cowboys, the Eagles are another really good team that, that, you know, are well coached. They do some good things or some things really well. Uh, and and you, you can't take them for granted. If you look into that game and, and, and look at the Steelers next week uh, and go, you know, we're going to we're going to crush the Eagles. You're liable to lose that one. Yeah, the NFC East, I think it looked like an underwhelming division last season. But in reality, there was a lot of talent that came into the NFC East by way of the draft. They had some good free agent signings. So while the division last year wasn't as strong as maybe, I guess, other divisions were, it's still a division you have to look out for. But sticking alongside the theme of NFC here, Matthew, obviously the goal for this Baltimore team it's to make it to the Super Bowl and win that big game. When you look at the NFC team, specifically at the top of the NFC, you look at the 49ers or the Saints or other teams of that ilk, who do you think would be the Ravens' toughest opponent or a few of the Ravens' toughest opponents if they do make that big game? Well, you know, you have to go back to the team that was in the Super Bowl, and that's the San Francisco 49ers. Again, that's a team that uh, played Baltimore pretty tough last year. They certainly have all the right things that you'd want to see if you're going up against Baltimore. They've got a stout defensive line. They've got a, a, a good secondary overall. 
they, they can kind of match up well with Baltimore from a defensive perspective to Baltimore's offense. And then vice versa. You know, you, you've got an efficient quarterback, even though I'm not the, the hugest Garoppolo guy. Uh, you, you can't really deny what he's done over there. And, and they've got an offense that seems to be kind of clicking, uh, you know, under that head coach. So they, they were in the Super Bowl last year. I certainly think you can't uh, you can't knock them out. Seattle, again, is, is always a team that is, uh, you know, again, fighting for, for the playoffs. The Rams, even though I, I think they've taken kind of a, a big dive recently, uh, you know, again, they, they were in the Super Bowl just recently, too. I don't think you can ever count them out. New Orleans Saints are probably is probably the team that everyone is counting on to actually make the Super Bowl uh, as long as they just don't get screwed in the playoffs yet again. Hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll see how that all pans out. But Drew Brees, uh, a stout running attack on that, a defense that played really well uh, last season, especially Tampa Bay Buccaneers, another team with Tom Brady and Gronk. I know a lot of people are flocking to them. Uh, maybe not as high on them as other teams, but uh, again, I think ruling them out from the, the the Super Bowl entirely would be foolish. So, yeah, there's there's three or four teams that I think Ravens fans really want to keep an eye on from the NFC, and it's it's those teams in specific. But Every single year, we're surprised that some team like the Arizona Cardinals comes out of nowhere and is just crushing teams for some reason. Uh, it, it certainly could be the Cardinals this year, um, but it, there, there are a number of teams in the NFC that, again, could, could make that sudden drive uh, and be threatening for a Super Bowl or at least you know deep into the playoffs for the NFC to, to make things interesting. Yeah, and that team last year, it was the San Francisco 49ers. I think it was Adam Rank, I believe, who in his schedule prediction for them had them at like 3-13. and 13. <laughs> And they completely just sh- shattered that. And much like for the Ravens, you see them go 14-2 and two after most pundits had them, you know, 8, 9, 10 wins. So any team, like you mentioned, the Cardinals are one of those teams who I'm pretty high on this season. And I think they could make a major impact and maybe even make that big game of all clicks with Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and they got Isaiah Simmons on that defense as well. But moving on here, Matthew, to Two Speed LP at Two Speed LP, he asks... Which non-divisional opponent do you think will pose the greatest threat on the road? Now, the Ravens have a bunch of road games, and who knows how big of a home field advantage M&T Bank Stadium will be for the Ravens and how big of an advantage being on the road might be or a disadvantage at that. When you look at these Ravens road games, Matthew, in 2020, which non-divisional opponents do you think might be the greatest threat? Well, as of right now, for the, for the road games, uh, and as you mentioned, who kind of knows what the season's going to look like. So it might not be that big of a deal after all, but the Colts and the Patriots, uh, you know, the, the, the Colts, Philip Rivers is in town. Now they were already a pretty solid team. Everything considered, you know, maybe didn't necessarily click as much as they should have last year, uh, but you've got a winning quarterback in there for at least a year who still has a little bit left in the tank. Uh, the, at least the Colts are kind of planning on Philip Rivers to take them uh, over that hump. So they're going to be a, a, a huge fight right around the middle of the season, the new England Patriots. I don't care who's starting at quarterback. I don't care what players they have. That's a team you always have to watch out for, even just from a perspective of what weird loophole play are they going to pull out uh, that no one sees coming and will eventually, you know, the, the, the next off season be uh, canceled out by the, the competition committee. But you know, what, what weird plays are they going to pull out that, that are going to surprise you and, and, being such a well-coached team, you know they're going to have something in store for the Baltimore Ravens. 
Yeah, I, I think so, too. And those games are back-to-back, as we talked about earlier this week. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Ravens can handle those two teams on the road. But finally here, Matthew, I'm going to take two sweet LPs question, and I'm going to ask it in a different way. And this this will be my question. I can call myself a fan, right? And I can say, which one of the divisional opponents for Baltimore will pose the toughest threat on the road? Let's say the, the fans are allowed in the stadiums to some degree, taking into account the rosters that these teams have, the Steelers, the Browns, and the Bengals, taking into account what might be home field advantage for these teams. And you can even throw that out the window if you want to. Which one of these divisional opponents do you think is going to pose the greatest threat on the road for Baltimore? Well, it's the two teams that you really ultimately think of when you think of this division outside of Baltimore, and that's going to be Pittsburgh and that's going to be Cleveland. Uh, both of those road games come later in the season, uh, November 26th for the Steelers and December 14th, both of them primetime games. Obviously, one of them's Thanksgiving. Uh, the other one is is in the middle of December. So two later games against the divisional opponents that should be in the running for for the top of this division or a wild card seat at the very least. Uh, both those teams are going to be hungry in addition to, to Baltimore, which one I think is going to be more important. Ultimately, I, I'm going to stick with the Steelers. The, that fan base knows and hates the Ravens far more than Cleveland ever could. Doesn't matter what happened with Modell. I don't know why, but Pittsburgh just despises Baltimore in a way that no one else does. And those fans ramp up for that game in a way that other teams don't. And, you know, if I'm being honest with you, and I say this every year, the Cleveland Browns, that's what, three weeks before the end of the season, they might be like two and 14. You know, I, I, not to rag on the Browns, but they have not done well historically over the last decade. The chances are by the end of the season, they're not going to be doing well. They might not be in it for the, the wild card seed. Uh, or the top of this division, and they're not going to pose as much of a threat in my mind. That being said, as they certainly could, and I, I would include them into this, but it's the Pittsburgh Steelers on Thanksgiving. Primetime game, a, a middle-of-the-week game, a holiday game against your, your most hated division rival, who is undoubtedly going to be fighting either again for the top of this division or a, a playoff spot. Both of those teams are going to come into that game hungry, but it's 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 going to be... It's going to be chippy at the least. Yeah, and with these divisional games, you're right. You can't underestimate anybody. But you mentioned the Steelers and the Browns, more specifically the Steelers. Those are the teams, or the Steelers is the team, that you have to be wary of, especially if Baltimore does you know, drop a few games here and there. And all of a sudden, they're clawing for the division crown when most teams expected them maybe to come out a little more dominant. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe Baltimore is on a roll. And then you have teams like the Steelers and the Browns who want to do nothing more than maybe ruin the Ravens' chance at a specific seed or something like that. We saw the Bengals come in, a team that was out of playoff contention just a few years ago, and knock the Ravens out of the playoffs. Those division games, as you mentioned, are always chippy, and they're going to have to be games that the Ravens take very seriously. We're going to head into our first break now, but when we return, we're going to be talking about the NFL's memo that they sent out to combat the coronavirus and social distancing guidelines and how John Harbaugh took it. So stay tuned for that. And we will be right back. Welcome back to the second segment of this Purple Friday Locked on Ravens episode. Kevin Ostriker, your host, still hanging here with Matthew Stevens of Ravens Wire. 
And Matthew, as we get into the second segment, there is no secret that the NFL season is going to look a bit different this year when you talk about all of the effects that the coronavirus has had on the world in general and more specifically in the sports world. Before we get into the actual memo that the NFL sent out and what John Harbaugh thought about it, I wanted to ask you a little bit, just a question here about the preseason, because there have been some reports saying that some executives throughout the league believe that the preseason might get shortened to as little as two games right now, and that obviously is subject to change. But when you look at the preseason, Matthew, is that the appropriate chunk of the schedule, I'll call it, that the NFL should be looking to cut down on if the coronavirus effects still linger throughout the fall? Or do you think they should maybe take it from a different chunk, maybe some training camp offseason programs? What's your take on that? Well, I mean, for the last few years, it seems like everyone's been kind of trying to get rid of some play or some preseason games. Uh, you know, the players don't necessarily like playing that many games for what is effectively nothing. Uh, owners don't necessarily like it because, well, you know, while, while it's effectively free money uh, on top of, you know, the, the in-season stuff, uh, it's not great money. You know, fans don't typically like it either because it's players that you're never going to see play football again, usually playing in, in, in some of these games. So, uh, you know, should we get rid of those two games? Well, in this instance, yeah. I mean, I, I think that makes the most sense. I also think this is the NFL just kind of creating plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, different things that they can do to potentially make this season still work because they, they, they're going to have a season. Uh, barring something dramatic and, and, and crazy happening, uh, even beyond what we've already experienced, there's too much money for this uh, for the NFL to not have a season. You know that that being said, is should they take it from from training camp? I don't think so. I think that's really when you you implement your schemes. That's really when the coaches get a chance to get their their hands on the guys, uh, especially rookies. I think are the most important, and the guys that are switching teams for Baltimore. That's guys like you know Patrick Queen, who's going to be a starting linebacker, and uh, uh, you know Marquise Brown, who's coming into his second year, wants to go ahead and make that leap. Uh, Calais Campbell and Derek Wolf, who are new to this team, you know, have experience, but they don't know the scheme. And as we saw with Earl Thomas last year, that takes a little time. A guy isn't going to be at 100% by week one. So I'd much rather have them take the time and maybe have a little bit of a longer training camp so that way they can be a little easier and they can ramp up into it rather than trying to put these guys into game situations that, you know, for a lot of them don't really matter. Uh, and the coaching staff can figure out how to cut down their roster via what they see in training camp and, and in whatever scrimmages they hold offense versus defense in that way. I, I think it's the best of both worlds. Uh, the players ultimately get to get rid of things that they don't like doing to begin with, and the fans don't have to deal with it, and coaching staffs get a chance to maybe have those guys for a little bit longer when they haven't had them for mini camps and OTAs and rookie mini camp and, and you know, all, all those things. I think it really is kind of the best of both worlds uh, for the NFL if they are going to shorten anything just to take two preseason games away. Yeah, and I think that, that those are really good points when you talk about how I think you're right. The NFL has been really trying to get rid or find some way to get rid of some preseason games the players have at least and when you look at the preseason Matthew those veteran guys they don't they don't really need those preseason games but one area where this might be a disadvantage would specifically be with the undrafted free agents in my opinion the Ravens they love their undrafted free agents so getting into a football perspective here on this 
How much of this preseason, if it is lost, say it is two games, how much is that going to affect the undrafted guys who are vying for roster spots? Maybe the competition between Eli Wolf and Jacob Breland for that third tight end spot. How much is it going to affect that? I, I don't think a ton. Um, you know, getting a chance to see these guys in practice uh, throughout training camp, you know, you, you pretty much know who's performing and who isn't. There, there's not a whole lot of shock when it comes to the final roster cuts. You know, maybe a, maybe a guy or two that they, they kind of want to put on the roster because they, they are expecting some issues or they want to have a little bit more depth in some spots. But, you know, there it's very rare that you will go, whoa, that guy sucked uh, in training camp but did well during preseason games and made the roster. Usually by that point, they're, they're kind of already written off. It's the, the battles between guys that are so close where both these guys are doing well. We want to keep that extra tight end maybe. Uh, and which one of them is going to make the difference uh, and maybe spark something in a game when things matter a little bit more, those things will, will be a little harder for coaching staffs to kind of figure out. But, you know, ultimately you have one, two, three of those guys, maybe uh, that, that you're really kind of looking for someone to step up and, and go above and beyond. I, I think from a coaching staff standpoint, and certainly with Baltimore, with uh, all their analytics and, and the different things they do uh, when it comes to practice and, and analyzing their guys, they'll be able to make the right decision uh, or they'll be able to make a decision they feel comfortable with without necessarily having all of those preseason games. And as you mentioned, you know, you don't necessarily need four preseason guys for uh, preseason games for a guy like Judon uh, or, or Ronnie Stanley to, to get where they need to be. Those are ultimately for the guys that are on the roster bubble or, or some depth chart uh, moves that you want to go ahead and make. You can still use those two games to do that and maybe use a half to get your starters kind of warmed up and ready for the regular season. You don't have to to, to use two preseason games uh, on a guy like Lamar Jackson to get him ready. Yeah, I, to I totally agree with you. The Ravens are very, they're veterans in getting undrafted free agents, scouting undrafted free agents, and making sure they have the right guys make this roster who can contribute, who show up and work hard every day. I don't think the loss of the preseason or at least a few preseason games is going to hinder that ability for them that much. But getting into the actual memo that the NFL sent out to teams. Now, coaches have been allowed back into the building. But when you look at some of these guidelines for the players, when they do return to these facilities, things that include, you know, taking the furniture out of locker rooms to prevent, I guess, socializing. And then you talk about maybe them laying down the tape, but for six feet apart so that the players know exactly, you know, how much distance is the right distance. Other things also could include things like players wearing masks and within the facilities getting tested every day. Do you think this memo right now, as it is, and Roger Goodell said this is subject to change as more information is available, but do you think that this memo as it is now is the right thing for the NFL to be implementing, the right safety measures? And of course, as we've mentioned before, we're no doctors, but what's your take on this, Matthew? Well, and to, to continue to echo that statement, I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to be one. I didn't stay at, at any uh, uh, conference that, that would even give me a remote bit of medical advice on this. But, you know, from a fan perspective, from, from a reporter perspective, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't seem that terrible. Um, stay six feet apart. Wear a mask when you're not on the field. Uh, maybe don't go shaking hands and, and rubbing up on each other. You know, like it's just the basic things we have to do when we're at the grocery store. Is that too hard to do? I, I certainly don't think so. I would like to think that a professional athlete uh, can stay six feet away from another professional athlete. Uh, 
Um, I'd like to think that at least through training camp, at least through getting conditioned and, and implementing the scheme, you don't need to necessarily have those things in that way. Uh, is it going to suck? Absolutely. Uh, I would not want to be tested once, much less every single day. Getting a Q-tip up the nose, not pleasant to begin with. Couldn't imagine doing it every single day. There, there undoubtedly has to be some other ways they can do that. And I'm sure they're looking into that or working on that. But the other things are just things that we should already be doing as it is. And I know Harbaugh kind of complained about it, but ultimately you want these guys to be healthy. Uh, you want the season to go on. You need to blend those two worlds together. You need to blend those two ideas together. How can I keep these guys healthy while still getting things done? Uh, and at the end of the day, everyone's health is the, the paramount thing. And even if you want to be cynical and say, just from a PR perspective, the last thing the NFL wants is a guy like Lamar Jackson coming down with this and getting seriously sick. Uh, or, or a head coach coming down with this and getting seriously sick and not being able to be on the sidelines come Sunday, week one. That's the last thing you want to have happen. So, you know, if everyone needs to go ahead and scrub up a little extra hard and we need to take showers in, in you know, uh, uh, blocks and, and, hey, you know what, these five guys go in and we're going to do them five at a time so that way you can stay way far apart, it's it's going to be a little bit different, but life as a whole right now is different for literally everyone. To complain about that from a football perspective, I'll be honest with you, it's just a little weird to me. Yeah, and I wanted to get into that with you a bit, Matthew. John Harbaugh's comments on this whole memo. Some of the quotes that he had were, quote, these are things the league and the PA needs to get a handle on. And also, he said that good people and smart people are involved in this. But the way I'm reading these memos right now, you throw your hands up and you go, what the heck? And I believe Harbaugh, you know, having guys walk around in masks everywhere they go when they've just been sweating on each other in practice or in games, it's probably a little bit weird to him. And I think that, you know, there's a new normal is this coronavirus has been sweeping the nation. And it's going to be hard for everybody to adjust to. It already has been very hard for people to adjust to. Now, you mentioned that, you know, complaining about this from a football perspective, it's a bit weird to you. And I wanted to ask your opinion on just why you think that is kind of go into that a little bit more. And also when you look at maybe things the NFL could potentially do to maybe other head coaches feel the same way John Harbaugh does, other things the NFL can do to make this memo and make these guidelines a bit more appealing to them. Is there anything they can do or are these coaches going to have to most likely suck it up? Well, you know, with with Harbaugh's comments specifically, he, you know, he mentioned our guy's going to shower one at a time all day. You know, that's hyperbole, of course. Uh, I've been inside that locker room. Baltimore has a huge shower. If you're setting one guy in there, you're doing it wrong. You know, are you going to fit 53 guys in there? 54 guys in there? A uh, 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 hundred guys in there? Probably not. But I'd like to think anyone who's lived within a house with one bathroom and multiple people knows how to shower in, you know, uh, 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 batches knows how to coordinate that thing together. So that way, Hey, I'm going to take a shower after I get done. You get in there. I'd like to think that grown men can, can do that. Uh, and, and can figure out how to, hey, the quarter the, the quarterbacks and, and the uh, the skill position players on offense go in there. Now it's the offensive linemen. You guys get in there. Now it's the, you know, I'd like to think we that's pretty easy to do. Uh, one thing he also complained about is our guys going to lift weights one at a time all day. What are they doing right now? I mean, they're working out at home. That's not ideal by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, the the things that were, were mentioned there were just, yeah, I mean, 
what are any of us doing right now? We're, we're going for walks around our block uh, or around our neighborhood. We're lifting weights in our garage. Chuck Clark's over there lifting chairs and doing exercises in his garage with a new baby. Yeah, you, you, you make it work. I, we're all making it work in that sense. You know, the huddle, okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, but this is also for training camp. How important is that that those guys get right up next to each other uh, in the huddle? I, I don't know. I'm not a coach. I'm not a player. Uh, that could certainly be something. But I, again, I'd like to think that guys that do this for a living could put their heads together and think about that and figure out a way to do it. And, and ultimately, I, you know, I like Harbaugh and I, I, I get the frustration. And that's undoubtedly what I would take this as more than anything else. We're all cooped up. We're all a little frustrated about things sometimes that we shouldn't be frustrated about. You know, the NFL, again, just wants to wants these guys to be healthy. The, the Players Association just wants these guys to not get sick. Again, if it means showering in, in batches, man, that that's not that terrible, actually. Yeah, and, and when you look at this whole thing, I think safety is is the number one priority when it comes to everybody, not football players, not coaches, not just them, but everybody across the world. And I think that, you know, the NFL is trying to make that clear to these teams. So it's going to be a journey. It's going to be interesting to see how NFL teams are going to have to go about this, how the world is going to have to go about it. But I think one thing's for sure, and that's that safety ultimately does come first in any situation, and especially for big companies and corporations, leagues like the NFL. But we're going to head into our final break here. And when we return, we're going to be catching up on some free agency maintenance for Baltimore and getting into if there are any more signings on the way. So stay tuned and we will be back soon. And we are back with our final segment of this Locked on Ravens episode. Kevin Ostrecker is still here with Matthew Stevens of Ravens Wire. And we just got into some coronavirus maintenance when we talk about the NFL's memo and other things surrounding John Harbaugh's seemingly frustration towards it. But now getting into some actual, you know, football talk down to the nitty gritty, a move that was announced yesterday was that the Ravens waived Jake Ryan, the inside linebacker who previously played for the Green Bay Packers and Jacksonville Jaguars. Now he'd only played, I believe, two games over the past two years, very injury prone. When you look at the Ravens, they signed him to be a depth piece of veteran signing, and then the Ravens won out and drafted Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison. So it seemed to me, Matthew, like his his presence, unfortunately, wasn't necessarily needed on the roster. When you look at Jake Ryan, Matthew, what was the thought process behind this signing? Was it just to have a body there ready and waiting for the Ravens to maybe not address inside linebacker in the draft and maybe have a training camp body there? Was he ever really a shot to compete for this roster? Well, you know, having done you know en- enough mock drafts over the years that uh... – guaranteeing what's going to happen actually in the draft is, is impossible. It's, it's a fool's errand ultimately. So yeah, I mean, the, the Ravens kind of went through free agency and said, what are the things that we absolutely have to address? And linebacker was it just in case all those linebackers were off the board in the first round, you didn't like anyone in the second round, you didn't like anyone in the third round or other things were uh, more important uh, or, or guys were falling down to you. You know, if Jerry Judy's there in the second round, yeah, you you take him, even if you do need a linebacker. Getting Ryan in was uh, a way to have more experience at linebacker, just a guy that you kind of know, a guy that you feel comfortable with uh, potentially starting if he has to or potentially being depth if you only get one guy and and you just need need more bodies. You need more experience at that position. Baltimore were lucky and, and, and had a really good draft and had things fall down to him and were able to get you know, Harrison and, and Patrick Queen. 
So in turn, you know, they, they, they now have too many linebackers to a certain degree. Now, that being said is I'm a little surprised that they, they cut Jake Ryan, just considering, you know, it, it is a little while after the draft. This isn't something that uh, happened suddenly afterwards. Uh, they seem to be fine with his injury history coming in. He certainly passed a physical, uh, which has been a problem with Baltimore for the last few years with a few key guys. Uh, so, so all the things kind of seemed to work out to where they seemed happy with them. And again, you can always use more experienced depth at that position, especially if you plan on going into the season, you know, uh, uh, seeing two rookies play a large number of snaps, if not a majority of those snaps at that position. I'd like to think you, you'd still want a little bit more experience, but cutting them frees up just shy of a million dollars against the salary cap. It gives you an additional roster spot. You need some help in some other spots. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's uh, it's disappointing to see a guy go uh, that at, at a key position like that. Again, a, certainly with a little bit of uncertainty at that position with two young guys potentially starting. Uh, but at the same time, it opens up the door to a lot of other things later on down the road that I think will will make this team better overall. But anytime you're cutting that 90th guy, it's it's ultimately a gamble. You're hoping you don't need him. You're hoping that. You know, if you pick up a tackle, let's just say you hope you actually you hope you don't need the tackle either. But you're hoping that that's the position you'd actually need to help at more uh, than linebacker. So it's, it's all just kind of managing that. And, and sadly, Ryan will be on to his third team in, in just a few months. Yeah. And I think the Ravens, obviously, as you mentioned, they were just doing their due diligence, making sure that they had they had a body, someone who could potentially kind of have a rebound season if they needed them to. Much like Josh Bynes and LJ Fourth, those two signings midseason. You know, maybe they could have struck some gold with Jake Ryan, but alas, we will never know. But speaking of other free agent signings, Matthew, I know we've talked about it time and time again here. You know, whether the Ravens should go after Jadavian Clowney, whether there are some positions the Ravens could use a veteran signing at. We're in the low period of the NFL, I guess, offseason. And right now, there isn't seemingly any news on any teams. There are still some big free agents out there, but... For me, seemingly, I feel like those splurges on those guys like Jadavion Clowney are finished, at least for this offseason. How many more moves do you expect Baltimore to make before training camp, if any? And are you just thinking that they might be waiting to see who gets cut and kind of lurking in those waters to see if anybody talented is the market? Yeah, I mean, that would be my guess is they're playing things pretty quiet right now because, you know, I, I think they feel pretty good about their roster. They bring in back most of their starters. So anybody that they're going to be bringing in realistically is certainly with the amount of cap space they have uh, it, it's going to be a depth signing It's going to be a guy that you hope never actually sees the field. Uh, it, it's those guys that maybe you want to, you like what you saw, but he still needs a year or two to, to kind of learn and to build up. It's those types of signings that Baltimore is ultimately going to make just those little tweaks to the roster. Uh, in, in my personal opinion, Sure, something crazy could happen. A guy could get cut suddenly and Baltimore's on it. But usually if a guy's getting cut at this point uh, in the offseason or this close to training camp, it's because he did something stupid uh, and he's going to get suspended and the Ravens don't want to have anything to do with it, typically. Or it's a guy that's deciding to come back from, from retirement or you know things like that. Or, or a guy goes down uh, more depressingly where, you know, what are we going to do with Pernell McPhee out yet again? Oh, well, Terrell Suggs, you interested in playing? Hey, we're going to give you, you know, $3 million to, to play. Those are the type of moves that are going to end up happening. But uh, at this point, I think, you know, Baltimore's roster is relatively set outside of maybe, again, just fine-tuning where they're shored up at 
uh, and what positions they maybe want an additional guy at. Uh, it's all going to be those those last few roster spot moves that are going to happen between now and, and ultimately the, the roster cuts. Yeah, their roster, in my opinion as well, it's, it's pretty set. It's pretty deep at the moment. It's actually very deep. And I think that for Baltimore, they don't necessarily need to go out and splurge all that money when they have so many of their own guys they're going to need to resign over these next few years because you have those guys on cheap deals. You have stars on those cheap deals. And for Baltimore, they've spent their money in ways that works to their roster. And soon enough, they're going to start having to transition some of that money over from the defense to the offense. But for now... You don't want to hinder yourself with another big contract that you might not be able to get out of or is very backloaded. They have a window at the moment, but I think that if they play it right, they could have a window for a very long time. So just seeing maybe those extra, you know, few veteran signings that might happen, you know, in season or during the preseason or after cut day, those will be the ones I think will have the most impact for this team. But Matthew, that's all I have for you today. Thank you once again for joining me on the show and only get back next week. Hopefully we'll have some more content to talk about, maybe a signing or maybe not. Yeah, absolutely. Again, whenever we start getting closer to uh, training camp, it's all of those uh, exciting bits of who's going to perform, who's going to underperform, uh, what, what do we expect. It's all that kind of fun, getting excited about football and what could potentially happen uh, that, that uh, is, is fun for fun for us to talk about. Definitely. And with football seemingly slowly creeping up as we've been waiting and waiting for some sports news and some sports games to be played, hopefully the NFL will provide us with that content as we've been patiently waiting for it. But we're going to take a two-day break here on Locked on Ravens. And when we return on Monday, it'll be more Ravens talk from me. So stay tuned for that. And I will see you on Monday.